Good morning. I greet you in Jesus' name. Delighted to see all of you here. Welcome to our visitors. We're glad to see you here and invite you to worship with us. For the home folks, we're well aware that our numbers are small this morning. For visitors, the fact is that there's an out-of-state wedding and many of our people are there. So, that's where a lot of our people are at. <clears throat> well, it's good to be here with you this morning. And I want to just say a, a thank you for all of you that have prayed for our family as we were gone, for myself as I was preaching. <clears throat> and I just want to say that whether you realize it or not, it matters when the saints pray. And uh, Brother Manson is preaching in Sarasota this weekend, and I trust you've been praying for him. Brother Kendall is at uh, Maple Lawn this morning. Ken's were at the wedding. John's were going to be at the wedding. And I think he felt sorry for me, so he stayed home. No, he said they stay home because of bad weather, maybe. I don't know. I'm glad you stayed home. <clears throat> Just a comment about the last song we sang. I think there's a phrase in there that talks about no more a pilgrim, wandering, something like that. And um, just wonder if you've ever thought about that. That your life here on earth is, a, is like a pilgrim. We're, we are pilgrims. We, we do not belong here, brothers and sisters. We, we are not made for this world, this earth. We are made for glory. While it is true that we are here, and while we are here, we are, we are called to a specific duty and purpose. Ultimately, we were created to be with our Lord. And someday, someday He will come back and take us with Him if we're faithful. I can't wait. Amen. Several weeks ago, when I preached here, I preached a message on the greatest commandment. Someone tell me what that commandment is. Love the Lord your God with what? There's another one. Strength. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all their mind, and with all thy strength. Jesus added that in the Gospels. And then he says, the second one is like unto it. Namely this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And if you recall, um, we took some time to go through each one of those. How do we love the Lord with our heart? How do we love the Lord 
with our soul and with our mind and then with our strength. I talked about how love is a powerful thing, how love motivates us. Often love um, makes us do uh, some odd things. Maybe things that don't make sense. In the world of affections or love between a husband and a wife or between a man and a woman, sometimes that love can drive us to, to do strange things. I mentioned that love has been the cause of murder and um, excessive spending, um, just some really, really outlandish things. And I also said there was a, a kind of love that Scripture talks about that also causes us to do unprecedented and unusual things. And that is agape love, or a commitment to love because God loved us first, because Jesus loved us first. And through that, as we enter into the, the new birth, or the new birth happens and we enter into life in Christ, that love dwells in us, and out of that love we then live and love others. And love is a choice often. Agape love is, is often a choice. It's not, an, it's not something that comes automatic. But we choose often to love. And it's a commitment to love. And so that's a little bit different. In that love, we are called to something that, that most people have no idea about. And that is to love our enemies. That is something that, that we, especially the Anabaptist people, espouse to. Like we believe that we ought to love and to do good to those who despitefully use us who harm us, who work against us, who hate us, that we love them, even as Christ loved us before we were worthy of any love. He loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Scripture says. And so that was a bit of what I talked about in the last message that I preached. And if you recall, I said I would have a second message on another command. So that was the first command, the greatest command, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with your whole being and then love your neighbor as yourself. There is another command in Scripture. And I invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. And the title of my message this morning is Love Not the World. Love Not the World. And... Brother Arlen, can you bring it back to the first one? We'll let him do that. As you turn to 1 John chapter 2, and we will begin reading at verse 15, and we will end at verse 18, and it's a familiar passage to us. The title of my message is Love Not the World. That is another command about love. 
Verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that this is the last time. And I invite you to bow your heads as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. We feel the need for your presence and your guidance and your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. I pray that as we go through the subject, through the passage here, that you would teach us the truths that are in it. God, I pray against the evil one who wants to come and distract, to take away and to confuse. I pray, God, that you would protect us from him. We trust in the blood of Christ to cover us. It is sufficient to protect us. And so we commit ourselves to it and to you this morning. Would you come and speak to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love not the world. We sing the song... This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I had to think of that song as I was studying. And as I read this passage, it's such a familiar old-time song. It's a little bit soulish, a little bit whatever, but it has some meaning to it. And I wonder, I actually looked it up online, I wanted to see if I, if, if I knew the lyrics all, but I knew the first verse, but the second and first, or third I didn't. But I had asked myself, okay, so if, when I sing that song, do I really understand what that song is saying? And I'm asking you the same question this morning. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. What does that mean to you? What does that phrase mean to you this morning? This world that I live in, that you're living in, is not my home. I'm just passing through it. And then it goes on to say, my treasures are laid up somewhere out there, somewhere in the blue. That's where my treasure's at, and that's directly referring to Scripture. Laying up our treasures, not on earth, where moth rust doth corrupt. And then the angels are beckoning me from heaven's open door. And I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just doesn't feel, just does not feel like home anymore. Is that true for you this morning? Does this world feel pretty homey to you? Or does it feel just a little bit strange and not quite comfortable? 
the challenge in front of us this morning from Scripture is that we should not love this world, nor the things that are in this world. Why? Because when we do, then the love of God is not in us. And remember the last message I preached said we ought to love God with our whole being. And so what we have this morning is we have this command to love God with our entire being. Everything that we have. Our mind, our heart, our soul, and our strength. And then it goes, and then John says, but don't love the world. Why? Because it fights against that very, that very love that I preached about before. That God commands us to have. Those are questions that I would like to just have us think about this morning as we go through the message. Don't love the world. My goal this morning, and by the way, I'm not going to have a lot of slides on my PowerPoint. It's, I just have the title up there, and I will have about two uh, right at the end, so just relax. I'm not going to be doing a lot of slides, but there are two that I'd like to put up there at the end, and hopefully that can challenge us right towards the end there. My goal this morning is to defend this command to not love the world. And I'd like to look at two foundational pillars, perhaps we could call them, that help us understand the tensions that we feel when we think about this command. Then I'd like to define the world from our passage. This morning I'd like for us to look at at our passage and, and understand what the world, the characteristics of the world are, what it means to be worldly, and then at the end, I just want us to look at three reasons, or two reasons, I'm sorry, uh, that are given to us in our passage for why we should not love the world. When you think about this command, love not the world, what happens in your spirit? What, ha- what happens if, when you hear a preacher preach on this message, or a message on this, on this subject, when you say, when you hear a preacher say, thou shalt not love the world. What goes through your heart? What goes through your spirit? Is there a bit of tension that happens there? Sometimes we react because, let's face it, there's been lots of discussions and lots of arguments. There's been lots of messages preached on what it means and does not mean to love the world. And we, for, so we so, sort of have formed our own opinions and, and, and ideas and we've reacted to some. Is it fair to say that? That we've sort of reacted to some of those ideas when we hear that command that says, love not the world. There is a bit of tension that happens there. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? We feel that tension. That's one kind of tension, where we, when we're just not real sure that we like the command. There's another kind of tension that says, well, yeah, I, I understand that, and I want to obey that command. I don't want to love the world, but how do I do that? What does that look like? And, and, and that creates a bit of a tension in trying to discern what that looks like and how I should not love this world or why I should not love this world. Either way, I would like to just have us look at two things that I think, that I call foundational, two foundational things that I think help us think through this thing. And these foundational things are not found in our passage. They are just here to help us understand 
that there are reasons, the, the reasons behind the apostle writing this, okay? Foundation number one, the reason that there's tension, there will always be, be tension between the Christian and the world. And the foundation, the foundation for that is that there are two kingdoms. Foundation number one is there are two kingdoms. We must never forget that, brothers and sisters. The reason that there's tension, when, when, when God says over here, thou shalt love me with all your being, and then the, the apostle writes over here, and love not the world, that creates a tension. There's a tension there. The tension it lies in the fact that there are two kingdoms, and those two kingdoms are, are diametrically opposed to each other. There's the kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness. And, and, and they do not mix. So that's the first foundational thing that we have to keep in mind when we come to commands like this, love not the world. Why should I not love the world? Because the world is of what kingdom? The kingdom of darkness, correct? Typically the kingdom of darkness, or the world is ruled by the, the kingdom of darkness. The prince of this world is who? Satan. And there's a kingdom of light. And you and me, you, all of us this morning that are born again are part of that kingdom. That's the tension that we feel. So when you come to this and you read this in John and it says, love not the world nor the things that are in the world, what does that mean? Immediately our mind and our hearts need to start processing. What does that mean? Because... We are in the world. We are living here. How shall we not love the world that we live in? We're commanded to not love this world. But we're in the world. Jesus said in his uh, prayer, he said, Father, I pray that you not take them out of the world. but That you would keep them from evil. So it's a heart process that needs to happen. But a foundational pillar for us to understand why we should not love the world is that there are two kingdoms and they are diametrically opposed to each other of which you and I are part of the kingdom of light. And I don't have to remind us of all the evil, the wickedness that we are experiencing in our world today. Yesterday I was at my uncle's funeral And my uncle was not a violent man. He was a rather kind man. A well-liked man. And about three weeks ago, he was brutally stabbed and slashed. And as a result of that, he passed away about three weeks later. Violence. No reason except that the man wanted to steal a car that, they, that he had. Violence, the kingdom of this world, wickedness. That's the world we live in. And yet our hearts are drawn to it. Our hearts tend to love the world that we live in. And the command is, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. The second pillar, that was the first one. The second one is this, that when you were converted, you were changed. When you were converted, you were changed. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are what? Passed away. Behold, all things are what? Become new. What does that mean? You see, I think sometimes, brothers and sisters, we can be guilty of not not really taking that seriously. When I am radically changed, that means I have a heart that is bent towards something different. When I become born again, I no longer want to follow after the, the world's pleasures, dictates, etc., etc. I am changed. I completely turn around and go towards the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of light is intention and conflict with the kingdom of darkness. That makes you and me in conflict, intention with the world. That's a truth that we must settle in our heart. You and I, as born-again people, as born-again children of God, children of light, children of the King, are in conflict with the world. Now we chafe at that some because we're not sure maybe how we want to apply that, how we want to make that work in our lives sometimes. But let's just suffice to say for now that the foundational truth is that you're in conflict with the world we live in. Can we just be okay with that? Can we just accept that? It's sort of hard to do that because there are scriptures that say we should love those people and we need to. But you see where our heart can go so quickly is we can bypass and we can step over this truth that, hey, that, that should, should remain in our heart, that should remain in, our, in the back of our minds and in, in the depths of our hearts. Says, I am not of this world. I'm just, I'm just a pilgrim. I'm passing through. While I'm here, I am called to a specific task, and that is to bring God's kingdom into reality here. But I'm not of this world. I'm of that kingdom. And so what does that mean for you on a personal level. There are two kingdoms, and you are part of them. You're part of one of those. If you're not born again this morning, then you're part of the kingdom of, of darkness. If you're born again, then you're part of the kingdom of, of light, God's kingdom. And when you are, you are changed. You are radically changed. So that your heart is bent towards and loves things of God. Loves kingdom values. Goes after those things. Never forget that you are a changed person. Old things are gone. Behold, all things are new. God intends that His, that his kingdom is demonstrated here on this earth. And if I, as His child, espouse to the world's Things and I, I, I gravitate towards loving the world, then I effectively hinder his kingdom, the reality of his kingdom here.
you and I have been called to be, to be kingdom representatives, to, to bring the realities of God's kingdom to this world. He is redeeming people continually to make that happen. He uses human beings to represent His kingdom on this earth. And when I gravitate towards the world and I, I want to love the things of the world, I hinder that kingdom being demonstrated here. Now God's still going to do it, but I, I, mess, I mess with the kingdom's effectiveness. That's the seriousness here. Well, let's look at what the world is. What is the world? What are the characteristics of the world? Let's go back to our passage. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we have three things here that that give us an idea of what the world, the character of the world, the characteristics of the people in the world, the, the way that the world operates, the precedence with which it operates, and all of those things. So we have the lust of the flesh, we have the lust of the eyes, and we have the pride of life. Three things. The first two words, or the first two phrases, if you notice, have the word lust in them. The last one does not have the word lust in it. And so let's look at the word lust. What is lust? And the basic um, definition is a position that is intense with desire for something that I want or something for me to indulge in. That's lust. It's an intense desire for something to, that I want to indulge in or that I want to be part of. It could be an activity. It could be a thing. The lust of the flesh. And so if we look at the flesh, the flesh literally means our body. Spiritually, it refers to the carnal part of us. So it could include that. But the lust of the flesh. And we don't have to look far, do we, brothers and sisters? To understand and to know that the world is all about the flesh. Everything is about the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Gratifying myself. Gratifying this body. This being. This whatever. It could be food. It can be sexual immorality. It can be anything that gratifies my flesh that makes an appeal to my flesh and draws me that way. That's the world. That's the world. Clothing is designed to draw attention to the flesh. It is. That's just an example. There's many other things that appeal to our flesh. A wicked desire that the physical or emotional part of me wants to do. It's a self-centered and a carnal attitude that is not of God. And a worldly person does little to hold it back. A person that is in love with the world or that is worldly in his heart 
does little to hold it back. And, and brothers and sisters, it is so easy. It is so easy for us to convince ourselves that we may not, that we're not really, that we don't deal with the lust of the flesh. And I'm speaking to myself. It is easy for me to convince myself that no, I'm not. But let's be careful. Let's be honest with ourselves. And let's be forthright. Are there areas that I know that the flesh controls me? Are there areas of the flesh that control me? Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And we look at those and say, no, not here, not among us. And I think, I trust that that's true. I think there are potentials here, though. And some of these can be so hidden Let's be very careful, very honest, very transparent. John also talks about walking in the light, being transparent. Verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. We would never hate, hate someone. On the way up to, Wisconsin, or to Minnesota a week ago, a couple, yeah, a week and a half ago, I really got angry at someone. Now, I didn't hate the guy, but if I could have made him go off the road, I probably would have. You see what I'm saying? You've never seen such a driver. He almost made me go off the road. That's why it made me mad. But you see, I, I will never hate someone, but I... <clears throat> Whoever, whatever, however, the flesh manifests itself. Variance. Sowing discord, that's what variance is. Variance. There is this thing within churches that ought not to be. And that is sowing discord. Talking about situations and people that, in such a way that, that stirs up strife. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings. Surely none of us envy. Surely none of us envy. I do. I have this thing with, and some of you won't have a clue what I'm talking about, but some of you will. I have this idea that I need to buy a side-by-side -side UTV, not an ATV, but a UTV, a utility uh, all-terrain vehicle, whatever, 
And it has to be a Polaris Ranger. And it has to be at least an 800 to a 900 cc with a Boss V plow, snow plow on the front. Because that's what I think I need to plow my, my drive. And I can spend a lot of time looking and envying and wishing and wanting. And I can convince myself sooner or later that I'm going to buy one if I'm not careful. Is there anything wrong with buying one? Probably not. The point I'm making is that if I'm not careful, my heart begins to, and, and I'm, soon I'm not satisfied. You, did you catch what all I listed? It has to be this and this and this. You see what my heart does? I want that. Envying, I want because other people have it, etc. Murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, and I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty straightforward. That's pretty straightforward. That's the lust of the flesh. Those are the evidences, some of the evidences, and Scripture has more. Let's go to the second one, lust of the eyes. It's similar to the lust of the flesh but it has to do specifically with what we see. And what we see triggers our emotions and our wants. Jealousy often comes from what we see. The ladies, you see what she has, or did you see what she had in her house, etc. And we like it, and we want it. We see. Our eyes are drawn to things that are beautiful or handsome, or well-built. They're appealing, etc. Our eyes are drawn to that. Not necessarily wrong. But it is through our eyes that the power of desire comes. I want what I see because it is pleasing to my eyes and, 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 and that whole thing rests in the sin of Adam and Eve. When when, when Eve saw the fruit, she said it was pleasing to her sight, and so she picked it and did what? She saw it was pleasing. It created desire. She wanted to taste it. She didn't believe God anymore, so she was going to eat that fruit because it looked good. The world, brothers and sisters, does not guard its eyes. What my eyes see I go after. What my eye sees, I want. And our eyes can develop patterns and habits in us. Man, you know what I mean by this. If we're not careful in guarding our eyes, they can dart and go places, and they can even make us want to physically go to places. Our eyes can develop wants and patterns of habits that are unhealthy, the world doesn't do anything about it. They do exactly what they want. Whatever their eyes want or sees, they want. And they go after it. The last one, the pride of life. And the word life here doesn't mean the, the existence of life, like I'm living, you're living. That's not what it means. What it means is the possessions that we have and things that make life possible. You look it up in the Greek and it'll, that's what it shows. It means 
things and possessions that make your life possible. Not just possible, but comfortable. And we have those things and we take pride in what we have. So we could say that the pride of life is loving all the things that I possess. I'm prideful in my accomplishments. I'm prideful that I was able to get where I'm at today. And I look down on others. And possessions are important to me. And I had to think of the parable that Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20, the parable of the wealthy farmer, John, the wealthy farmer, where his crops were so plentiful that he said, I don't know what to do. I got too much. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go tear down what I have and I'm going to build bigger and better. And then what? Then I'm going to take it easy. I'm just going to, whatever. I'm going to coast along. I'm going to take my ease, he says. And what does Jesus say? What does God say to him? Thou fool. Tonight, your soul is going to be required of you. His heart was in his possessions. The pride of life. I did it. Look, I'm comfortable. I can't believe. Look, well, let's go on vacation. Let's take it easy. Nothing wrong with going on vacation. It's the attitude of the heart. Loving the things that take my love for God away. That's what we're after. That's the way the world operates. They have no love for God. And so they put it into this. The pride of life. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. In closing here. Two reasons. And they're very simple. Very straightforward. Two reasons why the Christian should not love the world. Number one. We go back to verse 15. Number one. Loving the world and the things of the world rob us of the love of God. Or, we could say, the love for God. It works either way. Loving the world and the things in the world, of the world, rob us of God's love in us because we're, we're now transferring our affections and our love to those things. And as we do that, we have no love for God anymore and we have a hard time loving others. Because we focus on ourselves. And I wonder how many of us struggle with this. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You will love one or the other. But you cannot love both. You cannot love both. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
when we don't love God, then our heart turns towards the world. When we love the world, we don't love God. We cannot argue that. And it's empty talk to say that we love God. But we love the things. We spend our time with things of the world. The ways of the world. Someone said that love for God and love for the world cannot coexist. And according to John, that's true. Love for God and love for the world cannot coexist. Do you see the tension that comes? Do you understand the tension that happens in our hearts when we start thinking about how, how simple that is and how hard and difficult that is? Because is it not true? And I'm the first to say it. My heart is pulled continually towards things of the world. Now, it's not things that it used to be pulled towards, but it's other stuff. Other things that my heart wants to gravitate towards. Away from the all-sufficiency of, of God. And go there. My faith goes from God to that. And by the way, John says later, I think in chapter 5, that it is our faith. It is by our faith that we overcome the world. But how can we have faith if we love the world? Another thought to think about. Number two, reason why we should not love the world or the things in the world. Very simple. It says in verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Very simple. Very straightforward. We wouldn't buy a house. Well, we wouldn't build a house. You wouldn't build a house. I don't think you would. If you knew that your house, the, the property that you have, was on top of an earthquake fault line, you wouldn't build your house there, would you? Why wouldn't you build your house there? Why would you not build your house there? It's a simple answer. There's a high probability that your house is going to be ruined sometime in the future. And you're not going to invest the time and the money and the energy to build your house there only to have it ruined, right? You wouldn't invest in a, in a company that is going bankrupt, would you? Not unless you're one of those investors that flip things all the time and try to get your monies. Of... You, understand the, you, you understand the comment. We would not. Why? It's foolish. It's the same with the world. Why would I set my affections on things here and not things above when this world is passing away? It's going to be gone. Brothers and sisters, it's going to be gone. <laughs> there isn't a thing here earthly thing that's going to stay remain it's going to be gone and we spend so much time so much energy in those things and I know I know the arguments and I'm with you brothers and sisters I am with you that doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to the things that God has given us I believe with all my heart that we are called to be stewards and wise with those things 
But when those things are used in a worldly sense for my gratification, for my fulfillment, then I think I have to be, I have to be honest and say, there is something of the world love in me. If we use those things for the kingdom's sake, and that's for you to decide, then I think God honors that. We must use our things wisely for the sake of the kingdom, for the furtherance of the kingdom. Do you understand the heart, the heart level, the, the, the direction of the heart pounding, the difference there? When I use my talents for the kingdom, whatever, there's a difference there. My heart is not attached for my own well-being and gratification. And then it says, and the lust is also passing away. And if we lust after this stuff, if, 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 if that's where our heart pounds, then we too will pass away with it. What does Scripture say when it says, why should I gain the world but lose my soul? That's, that's not verbatim. That's paraphrased. Why should I spend so much time trying to gain the world, loving the world and the things of the world and risk losing my soul? Is it worth that? Or my family's soul? Love not the world. A person that loves the world is a worldly person. And I told you I was going to put a PowerPoint up. And this PowerPoint is not original with me. But I put it together the way I, that, the way I understood it, Okay. So the, the putting together is my thing, but the, the words and, and the, the message through it is not original with me. But I thought it made sense. The question that I asked before I put the, the next slide up is, how do we know, how do you know if you are a worldly person? How do you know if your heart is bent towards worldliness or you, you love the world? We'll see if we can do this. So my first slide is this. Brother Arlen, you might have to do it for me. There we go. So here's a progression towards worldliness. Just take a good look at that. So it's a process of, of, of time, perhaps. The attitude of my heart begins like this. I like the world. I sort of sit here. I'm a Christian. I've been born again. And maybe I'm pretty dedicated and sincere in my love for God, and I'm but there's one area or two areas that I really, I, I like that. I like that in the world. Is that completely wrong? Perhaps not, brothers and sisters. But let's be careful that that thing doesn't become a big thing. And I begin to like a lot of things of the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? My heart starts gravitating towards liking. I like this. Oh, that's really nice. I like that. Oh, that's so cool. I like that. And I like, and I like, and I like the world. Next thing is, I want to be like the world. I, I really would like to be like the world. And the third one is, I want to be liked by the world. I really want to be liked by the world. Do you see the progression there? And when it's made, it's... You're going to have to click it. This clicker's not working. Here we go. There we go. I didn't. It's my fault. 
This is the way it looks when it's become, when we become a worldly person. We like the world. We want to be like the world and be liked by the world and it becomes who we are. And we become a worldly person. Now that spoke to me personally. That spoke to me personally. When I saw that and I thought about that and I studied that, I thought, you know what, that is, there is some truth in all of those in my own heart. There are things that I really like that are worldly. Is that completely wrong? Perhaps not, but there is a potential of danger. And then I'd like to be like the world. And then it really feels good to be liked by the world. I don't want to be in conflict with the world. But brothers and sisters, we are children of light. And there will be conflict with the world. Are we worldly this morning? Do we love the world? Or do we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength? It's a tall order. It is a tremendous tall order. But I believe God would not put it in there if He didn't intend it to be followed. And God gives us grace and strength to do it if we believe that He will. And He will. Can we trust Him to do it? Shall we pray? Thank you, God, for the truth in Your Word. And we admit, Father, that it is difficult often for us to to, to be in love with you and to not be in love with the world. We live in the world and you have said that you're going to keep us here, but your intent is that we would be those kind of people that show your kingdom to this world. And so help us, Father, to take that seriously, to be intentional, to die daily to self, to crucify the flesh. Even as you were crucified and you died, you are our example, Father, in your Son, Jesus. So help us this morning as we think about not loving the world and the things that are in the world and how it does affect us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.